You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your one-stop shop of cutting-edge conservative views and analysis here at the conservative conscience. This is your esteemed host, Daniel Horowitz, finally back in the house this Thursday afternoon, our first show of the week, even though the week is almost over because this was obviously a very unique and special week for me. I hope it's been a good week for you guys as well. Look, I'm not going to lie to you guys and say that I'm glad to be back. I'm certainly glad to be back in front of this microphone and connect with you. Um, It's both very therapeutic to me, and I'm sure and hopeful it's informative to you to be on the cutting edge every day of what actually matters. Usually things that you're not going to hear about or points you're not going to hear made um, from some of my colleagues in conservative media, and I know that's why a lot of you tune in. So it's going to be a little bit difficult uh, to get back up to speed when you know I've been out four or five days just completely offline, which I'm really thankful for. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough to pry myself away from something like that. It's like living in the Garden of Eden. You know, um, in ten years, I can't remember the last time we had such time you know we we've had kids since since our second year of marriage we had our oldest and then you know they get older uh your life becomes just one big public forum once your kids get older you never have a private moment and you know by the time you get done with bedtimes which get increasingly later as those of you who have kids appreciate you know as they get older you're just so tired throughout the day that by the time the night comes, you don't really have quality time together. Uh, it's 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 a real challenge for a marriage, you know. The more I think about it, but that's what God meant for us to have children, be fruitful and multiply in the world, as He commanded. So you know that is our job in life. There's no rest in this world, but it certainly was just amazing and magical to have those four days together. Um, you know, just just to understand how much we're tied down. And I'm sure a lot of you who have kids could appreciate this. My wife and I have never traveled on a plane together. And she independently has never been on an airplane uh, since we got married. You know, that's what it is. We just don't go many places. I travel once in a while alone, but that's about it. So this was this was just, I'm telling you, there's no words to describe it. The weather was amazing. So we went to Little Gasparilla Island. It's a barrier island off of Florida coast between Fort Myers and Sarasota. Just unbelievable weather. 70s uh, during the day, 60s at night. Cool breeze the whole time. You can only get to this island by boat. And that in itself was such an amazing experience, just using a boat instead of a car. To get to get everywhere, you know, I'm I'm kind of a novice at this stuff and was really nervous about it, but it worked out. It was it was a lot of fun. You know, the best I've done until now was rent a motorboat for an hour or so in some enclosed lake. But this going on on the ICW, going 
the open waterways. We went out into the Gulf with a Carolina skiff, um, chasing the dolphins. Just really amazing experience. But most of all, just spending alone time was was truly amazing and just so hard to pry ourselves away. Um, I wish we could have done a full week, but gets expensive. Also, it's tough leaving the kids at home, but thank God I have family that was just so amazing about this. And um, hopefully I won't have to wait another 10 years to do this again. But anyway, just forgive me for being obviously a little bit behind on things. I always try to be up on the latest information to give you the signals of what's coming up next. So I'm going to be a little bit slow. This is probably, I mean, just first off, just being off of social media, being off of the constant just processing of information, just even being away from a computer screen for four straight days is is so wholesome. And uh, it's something we should all do more often. But anyway, this was probably the first State of the Union address I've missed in, gosh, 20 years maybe. And, you know, the more I think about it, it's such a farce because no news is broken from it. And I really didn't miss anything. It it was a terrific speech, obviously, uh, given by the president, which is why I've always advised him as far back as last August to give a special speech before Congress when Republicans still had control and make the case for immigration. Universally, everyone agrees his formal speeches are really the high watermark of his presidency. But he's got to do it when the ball is actually in play, when it matters. So, you know, at this point, I don't know how much it's going to matter because the ball isn't in play. And what's said is coming back after four days, it's like nothing, nothing changed. Nothing changed at all. We're nowhere closer to pursuing the truth on a single issue. It's almost like not not much has happened. You know, I appreciate a lot of you tweeting at me, you know, different things I might have missed, but truth be told, we're still talking about racial politics of of Virginia Governor Northam. And that's really a theme I want to build for today that we've been developing the last couple of weeks that if you really want to speak the truth here, you have to recognize that everything in this country is racial. It's not driven by the best public policy for the whole of the people. It's all the politics of race. And that's why this is such big news. Now, look, don't get me wrong. When it comes to Virginia governor, and I don't want to really talk about this much, but I do want to make this point. I'm okay with the argument of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If they're going to crucify any Republican for any tinge of racial, racially insensitive comments or actions in your high school years and destroy your career for it, then you know what? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. But I'm not going to sit and get in front of this microphone and, and feign outrage and pretend to you guys that, oh, somehow, just because he's a Democrat, oh, I am offended. He's such a racist. Well, I- I'm sick of this. You know, one point I made in that podcast we did two or three weeks ago. I can't even remember. I can't even keep track of time anymore. Again, it's like the one one big black hole of this this past week, week in a good way. Lost track of time. But one of the points we made when we talked about 
Steve King and just the disproportionate response for anything racial is I made the argument, the analogy, but you're going to see it actually plays out quite literally that, you know, the political class views a murderer, you know, all things equal, it's not a big deal. Hey, you chop someone up with an ax, you get 18 months in, in prison and that's it. But if you tossed a racial epithet while you were chopping the guy up, all right, then we're giving you life in prison or uh, the death penalty. That's really how we live as a society. We don't we don't view things in terms of the severity of public safety. It's all the feelings and the racial political identity, and that's really what's playing out with Northam. It's like this is a guy that should resign because he believes that babies as they're being born after they're born should be chopped up into pieces. But that's not really such a problem. No Democrat feels the pressure to come in front of a microphone and denounce that. Oh, but the minute he is caught with a black face in a high school yearbook, oh, not that he's going to be forced to resign because he's a Democrat, of course, But everyone feels, oh, I have to denounce that. Just think about that thought for a minute. You know, none of us want to be hateful, but it's like this business of destroying someone based on stuff in high school that has to do with race as opposed to their views on murder right now to me is a very powerful indication of the rudder and the fuel of today's body politic. If, if, if something implicates, implicates race, all rules are thrown out. All rules of the road. If it doesn't, no one really cares. That's why we're still talking about it. And look, there's a trickle-down effect. They do it to Republicans, so Republican media is going to want to do it, to do it back to the Democrats because it's all, ooh, did I catch you in a racial thing? I'm I'm just I'm just sick of that. I'm sick of that stuff. Just this whole business of, you know, someone's life being over based on what they did in high school, but you know, somehow what they believe now, which is even worse, doesn't seem to matter. So that's with that. But you know, before I get up on other get get up to speed on other news, I want I want to just frame some more information going on in our wheelhouse of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks on immigration. Because that's another thing that, as we mentioned, is all driven by race. You know it. You know that if you didn't have the identity polit- politics wrapped up in something that would cause so much harm to the American people and to, the, to every, everyone, the migrants, we would treat it as the war that it is. But we don't because we can't. We must turn a blind eye and in fact, we must accommodate it. And obviously, as I was away, you see that in a few instances. So number one, and this is not the first year they're doing it, it's this new shtick where Democrats bring illegals to the State of the Union address. Now, if, if for those of you who aren't aware... 8 U.S. Code 1324, Section 1324, makes it a felony for any person who, knowing that a person is an illegal, brings to or attempts to bring to the United States, 
or knowingly and reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come or entered or remains in the United States in violation of the law, transports or moves or attempts to transport such aliens, or conceals, harbors, or shields from detection, or encourages or induces an alien to come here, enter, or reside in the United States illegally, or aids and abets the commission of any of the preceding acts, shall be punished as a felon um, with the potential of obviously fines and up to 10 years in prison. Among other things. Now you you could debate over whether you know this is a prosecutable crime in a way that's enforceable what they did, but to to make a mockery out of our laws and to just bring flaunt them in our capital on camera, would we ever do this if their identities were different? You all know we wouldn't. You all know we would never do that. The rules of the road don't apply when you're dealing with identity politics of immigration. That, 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 that's the simple fact. You know, one of the things I left you with before I went on vacation was the article that we did pretty thorough, but there's a lot more I want to write today on this. On New Mexico under attack. That Hidalgo County and that boot heel in particular is a county of 5,000 people with four sheriff's deputies that now have the cartels just moving in hundreds of migrants in one shot, 26 rounds of you know, one to 400 migrants at a time, all sorts of criminal activity. And there's nothing anyone wants to do about it. And now the governor of New Mexico, after insulting the, the uh, border ranchers who are complaining, calling their, com- their concerns asinine, is now pulling out the National Guard. Think about that. Four sheriff's deputies, the National Guard is the only thing they have. We would never do this in another universe. But it's become so political because of the identity of who these people are that we have this border denialism that we cannot recognize or speak to the severity of the problem. And in fact, we have to cover it up. We have to cover it up. And speaking of covering up, This is another thing that really gets me. To me, one of the biggest things that I missed, you know, you're you're trying to go back on the news and and, and literally, I mean, I shut it out. It's as if I knew nothing. I had no access to internet. We were on an isolated island that you can only get to by boat. Telling you, some of you guys looking for a vacation that's somewhat affordable, this is the way to do it. Look it up, Little Gasparilla Island. Truly amazing experience. Uh, but anyway, I, I I saw it intermittently when I had, uh, you know, I had access to internet when I go, go a couple places with my wife off the island. 
but I made sure to just not break my rule of getting involved in this stuff, just, you know, keeping away from it. So I saw that we had an MS-13 gangster-style broad daylight shootout in a New York subway. And for those of you following our series on this, this is obvious what we were talking about, that we now have the spillover violence of the transnational cartels and gangs on our shores. right? Just, just like we're Mexico now. But it's worse than that. Let me read to you, if you haven't read it, some of you might have seen this already, the big New York Post article, NYPD tried to hide MS-13 gangster accused of subway slaying. He's an MS-13 gangster and illegal immigrant accused of murdering a rival on a subway platform, but you wouldn't even recognize him on the street if the NYPD had its way. Cops bent over backward Tuesday to shield alleged killer Ramiro Gutierrez from public scrutiny after his arrest for Sunday's broad daylight slaying in Queens, going so far as to feed reporters bogus information about his whereabouts and claim ignorance on his illegal status hours before President Trump's State of the Union address renewing his request for a border wall. Gutierrez, 26, has been in custody since Monday for the execution-style killing of Abel Moso, 20, in front of a horrified, um, in front of horrified strap hangers. But cops waited until 4 a.m. Tuesday to announce that he had formally been charged. Then they called reporters Tuesday afternoon to say that he would be walked out of the 115th Precinct Station house at 4 p.m. only to sneak him out a back door by 2 p.m. en route to a courthouse in Queens. It would have been the public's first chance to get a good look at the accused killer had the Post not already put him on the front page Tuesday thanks to law enforcement sources. Gutierrez shot Mosa multiple times in the face following a scuffle over a gun that spilled from a number seven train onto the 90th Street station platform in a gang-related incident, according to New York NYPD Chief of Detectives Dermot Shea. He had at least nine previous arrests that included four felonies. Police claim that they suddenly sped up the transfer of the suspect from the precinct to court at the behest of Queens DA Richard Brown's office. The move was made after Gutierrez lawyered up and the DA employee said to haul him in, a police source said. But two DA sources, two DA sources noted told the Post that they were unaware of any such request from their office. The NYPD ignored questions about why it appeared to be protecting Gutierrez. What is this nonsense? An NYPD spokesman said to the Post when asked about the issue. Mayor Bill de Blasio's office said it was all NYPD's call and declined to say whether the department might might have made the right decision in shielding Gutierrez. We weren't involved in the mechanics of the defendant's transfer, and we don't have any comment on a City Hall spokesman, Eric Phillips said. Police wouldn't even say Tuesday whether Gutierrez is in the country illegally. I do not have any information regarding immigration status. It's not something we collect, Shea said, of immigration status data during an unrelated press conference Tuesday. U.S. Immigration Customs and Enforcement officials confirmed Gutierrez is illegally present in the U.S. He entered without inspection at an unknown date and time. A detainer was placed on him today, an ICE official told The Post. Gutierrez's NYPD rap sheet goes back to at least 2010 when he received a summons for disorderly conduct, according to sources. He's been collared on at least nine misdemeanors and four felonies, including for drug possession, sources said, noting that five of his arrests are sealed. He was arrested last December 11th, just two months ago, and by December 13th, he had pleaded not guilty and posted bail records show. 
everything we've ever said is ensconced in this story. The shielding of illegals. When, when illegal alien crime is so much more redressable, not only should he never have been in the country, but as we noted before, we don't even have the data on the degree of criminality of, of illegal aliens in this country. Because they don't collect it. Meaning it's clear now, unless they're lying, it's clear. Not only do the sanctuary cities, by the way, which contain the overwhelming majority of the legal alien population, not cooperate with ICE. And not only should these people have never been in the country, but most of the crimes they commit even thereafter are senseless and avoidable because they could have been deported upon the first sign of trouble. Uh, you're arrested for drug possession, boom, okay, oh, you're here illegally, give them over to ICE. Not only don't they do that, not only don't they do that, but it turns out they themselves, even internally, privately, don't collect the data. They never bother to inquire about the immigration status. Usually they fit the profile of an illegal, but they'll never confirm that. So when you hear all this crap of, oh, illegals commit less crime, which we all know is it's overwhelmingly more crime, the numbers that we always cite, you know, how ICE, um, they apprehend, you know, those responsible in one year for 76,000 drug offenses and 50,000 um, uh, whatever it is, assaults and robberies, and then over 2,000 murders, which I told you is an astounding number for one year. That would be like you know 20% of all um, murder suspects, and they only represent 3.5% of the population. And that's with millions of them being deported and taken out of the universe, which is usually the worst ones. You can imagine what it would be if we, wouldn't, if we didn't have any deportations, which is what the left wants. But these are just the guys that we get. You see all these crimes were undocumented. You talk about oh, undocumented immigrants. The only thing that's undocumented is the, the degree of criminality that they commit. We would have never known this. How many more don't we know? Well, that's most of them because most of them are in mo- – most of them live in about 20 metro areas. Three-quarters of illegals live in 20 metro areas. Almost all of them are sanctuaries. You know, New York, L.A., Chicago, Newark, Miami, places like that. Houston, and uh, you know, it turns out here, you might think, oh, it's the low-level crime. So we've already established that they won't turn over anyone arrested on DUIs, salt, drug trafficking. But as we saw, just you know, speaking of NYPD. NYPD, they just arrested 118, I mean ICE, just arrested an Operation Crosscheck in New York, 118 criminal aliens let go by NYPD. And they, 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 among them were crimes like sexual assault on minors, rape. I mean, we saw this from the New Jersey Attorney General. He had a clause in his sanctuary order where he said even murder and rape and arson, they'll hold them until 11.59 p.m. of that day for ICE and, 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 and 
no more than that. But it turns out a lot of them, they're letting go even without a minimal hold. This is the national security concern. It's in our communities. It's right here. You know, I'm going to read to you a text. There's a man named Tony Matola that I became friends with. He's a retired sergeant detective of NYPD. Um, and you know he's he moved down to Tennessee. Good for him. So he's retired. But the the unique thing about this guy is this guy was the intelligence bureau's domestic liaison to all law enforcement agencies, federal and other states. NYPD coordinated with on terrorism, gangs, and criminal activity within the U.S. He sent me the following note. I'm going to put this in an article. Federal, state, and local law enforcement need to be more transparent with each other and the American people in regards to transnational gangs and the Mexican cartel activities in the U.S. For these agencies to be successful in fighting crime inflicted by gangs like MS-13, we as a nation have to acknowledge more has to be done beyond arresting and putting these gang members in jail. The Mexican cartels have become a global threat that have found ways to circumvent the current U.S. border security. As these gangs continue to flourish, they will become even more violent, jeopardizing the public safety. Notice that this is an external threat. See, they're treating this, oh, yeah, like subway, some like inner city crime. No. This is not some inherent domestic violence. This is external cartels, which should be designated as terrorists. This case, this case is MS-13. It's a little different, but you know they, they work for the cartels, and in, in their own right, they're just as much of a problem. They're not from Mexico. They're from El Salvador. But you're going to have increasingly this spillover. And, and it's funny because Tony has told me all the time that how, how many, um, in his time at NYPD, that he saw innocent people get killed or hurt. In gang on gang violence, so don't don't just think, oh well, yeah, it was an MS-13 guy killing an 18th Street gang guy, you know who cares? When you have this stuff on your soil, this is the threat. It's at our border, but it's in all our communities. Every community, and certainly big city, but even small cities now, are border towns. We had a, we had a black a blockbuster show, our last show before vacation on Friday, with Sheriff Wilmot from Yuma County. When he said, look, I'm, I'm uh, communicating with those in North Carolina, he could trace it all the way back to North Carolina that, mo- that a good chunk of those coming into his border county in Yuma wind up going to the Greensboro area. There's a whole network of them. And how the sheriff there in those counties talk about, you know, again, this is not, you know, New York City is obvious. But in places like Greensboro, North Carolina, you now have cartel Mexican-style drive-by shootings, executions, everything we have in Mexico, which in itself has more murder than Afghanistan, we now have in our communities. And yet not a single bill has been brought to the floor by Mitch McConnell to deal with sanctuary cities, to deal with the cartels. I'm not even talking about Stuff dealing with chain migration and the broader immigration question. Oh, no, we can't look like we're anti-immigrant. Oh, the identity politics. I mean, this stuff is no-brainer to go after the cartels and MS-13. Not a single piece of legislation dealing with MS-13. Dealing with the courts, which are going on a rampage. I missed even more of these crazy court decisions or motions 
on vacation. I forgot about them. A lot more of that. They're violating the travel ban, the Supreme Court rule on the travel ban. Totally coming back for round two on that, by the way. This is just unbelievable. There's no action on it. You, you know what's funny? Every time Democrats, every time, every time something happens that they feel proves their policy initiative. So there's a school shooting. They'll immediately push for legislation on gun control. But when we have a police officer in California killed by a repeat illegal alien offender because he wasn't turned over to ICE after DUI, no legislation mandating DUIs. I'm still trying to get Cotton's office to introduce that. I don't know if, they, if they've done it after two months. I thought we were working on that. That's a whole other thing, my growing frustration. I can't get anyone to work on any ideas. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has her Green Deal, New Deal. Where is our new contract with the American taxpayer and consumers? I've been pushing that with these members of the Freedom Caucus, and they refuse to understand the need to give such a vision. I give the left credit for at least putting their vision on paper. Our side does nothing. But you look at... you. Know, Again, back to identity politics. We're not even talking about abortion when someone's raped or, or, you know, first trimester. We now have Democrats that were caught red-handed supporting what is now being dubbed as fourth trimester abortion. Okay, and they still won't bring up the bill to the floor, embarrassing the Democrats on that. It's the same thing with immigration. No matter what happens with sanctuary cities, of the most brutal. Gang members, in the case of Officer Sinjo, is a Mexican mafia guy. This MS-13 going after sanctuary cities. Nobody wants that. Make Democrats take tough votes. Throughout this entire border saga, Mitch McConnell has refused to make them take a tough, tough vote, except for the stupid Trump amnesty deal. I just don't get it. But what's the one vote they voted on? They passed an amendment expressing the sense of the Senate urging Trump not to undo the the, the positive gains in Syria and Afghanistan. They, they won't put troops on our border. They won't immediately bring to the floor a bill overriding the New Mexican governor's decision to pull back the the National Guard, which you know Congress could override that. Remember, the the governor controls National Guard, but then it, it also you know the feds control them too. They could override. Nothing. It's all about Kabul, because again, that's also the feel good. We have, we have to feel for other people. Kabul. It's all identity politics why we have to care more about Kabul than our own border. Well, because we can't care about it because then it's going to implement, it's going to implicate the illegal immigrant agenda. And, you know, it's identity. We can't, we can't mess with that. That's really what this is all about. It's truly un- unbelievable if you think about it. So I figured I'd have on today as we still catch up on the news from our honeymoon vacation, 
Uh, still behind. Like I said, I want to keep you guys on the cutting edge. And obviously, I'm still catching up myself. So, so some of you guys are even ahead of me in the news cycle. Figured I'd have on someone who's always going to be an expert on this issue. We've just had him on a couple of weeks ago, got a lot of good feedback, and figured we'd go for round two in the second half of today's show. Mark Morgan is very unique because he really has experience that lies at the nexus of what we're talking about today. And that's the con- the the convergence, really, of border security and interior enforcement, how it's all an external threat of criminal alien crime, transnational gangs, and cartels that really, in my view, are a greater national security threat to this country than Afghanistan or anything going on in the Middle East, yet we refuse to treat it as such. And Mark spent three decades with the FBI, by the way, served in the hot spot of El Paso, Texas, so very familiar with the dynamics of the border. He served in the LAPD, which, by the way, is very much, very much a hot spot for gang activity. Um, And then under Obama, in his final year, he became the chief of Border Patrol. What better person to have on today to discuss the latest developments than Mark Morgan? Hey, Mark, great to have you back a second time in just a few weeks. Thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate you having me on. Okay, so you know, I just want to start off, generally speaking, I'm having a very hard time understanding why, even when it comes to Republicans, you don't see the sense of urgency when it comes to national security related to immigration as you see related to other things. So there has not been a single vote under the Republican-run Senate on sanctuary cities on anything with border unless it has amnesty in it. But yet this week, they had an amendment vote expressing their sense that Trump shouldn't pull out from Afghanistan because that's a national security problem. Why do you think our politicians cannot view this in the prism of national security? You know, Daniel, I I think that's the question, right? And I think that's why I am so frustrated because I'm not a politician and and I don't want to be, but I do have a a layer of law enforcement expertise that you described. So from that prism, I can't understand it. I do not get it. And and, and part of, you know, sometimes when we talk is, Hey, let's can, can we put this 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 amnesty uh, aside for a moment, and let's just look at this from a national security standpoint. So let, let's just do what we need to do to protect our borders and our national security. Let's do that, and then separately, you, Congress can deal with this amnesty. I, I I don't understand why it has to be all or nothing, and that, that the safety and security and sovereignty of our nation is held hostage. By, by this amnesty issue. It's, it's, it's beyond frustrating. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think identity politics has a lot to do with it. What, what I wanted to go today is on the interior of the country. So when I was out this week, one of the big stories in my view that I think, you know, I, I had hoped that once I came back from my trip, this would have been the top news story, but it's really been forgotten. The MS-13 gang-on-gang attack in broad daylight in a New York subway. We had the sheriff of Yuma County on the show last week noting that he could trace a paper trail from Yuma County. Most of the illegals now, because they're Central Americans, 
unlike previous waves, they don't stay near the border. They go to the East Coast, a lot of them. He was tracing it to North Carolina. There's a lot of activity in North Carolina now, but certainly places like the big cities like New York City. My concern is that people look at this and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, there's always big cities, New York, Chicago. You have, uh, you know, gang shootings. But to me, this is really, no, this is not domestic. This is an external threat that you now have gang on gang, cartel on cartel, almost like Mexico style violence in our country. Isn't this much broader of a problem than simple, you know, local crime? Daniel, that's absolutely right. And and make no mistake, MS-13 is the most violent, prolific, transnational gang this country has ever seen. I led that task force for the FBI in Southern California back in the early 2000s. It, It was prolific then, and it still is today. And it is in countless uh, cities throughout this country. It is a real problem. And you're absolutely right that that organic problem that now is in the U.S. started externally from Central American countries. And it's still there. And they're still coming in. And I do not understand why Congress will not stand up and identify this as a problem. And you and I have talked, you, you've talked about, you know, making the, the, the cartels you know, a, a, a designated as a terrorist organization. Well, you know, the, the, the MS-13 as, as part of that, it's absolutely a, a significant threat in this country, throughout this country, and it's real. Yeah, yeah, well, what, what strikes me in this case, in particular with this 26-year-old illegal, is that th- there's one thing if you want to say you want unlimited legal immigration. Okay, then another level that even illegal immigrants, you don't have a problem with, evidently. But if someone is here illegally, pursuant to law, you have a very easy tool to deal with, and that is a tool that's actually mandatory to deport them. Um, so if you are catching a guy that's arrested for DUI, assault, drug trafficking, it should be a no-brainer that the first time we catch you, you're out of here. So, so therefore, any subsequent crime by nature is completely avoidable when you're dealing with an illegal alien, you know, American look, it's catch and release. People are in and out of the criminal justice system. Unfortunately, they're back on the streets. We have high recidivism rates, but when it comes to these guys, they should be taken out. It turns out this guy had nine misdemeanors and four felonies and the NYPD. It seems if they're telling the truth, not only didn't they turn them over to turn this guy over to ice, they themselves never bothered to, track his immigration status is this something you saw a lot in your days in la and elsewhere well yes and, and it's, it's just growing right and it goes back to what you said and this is why i'm hoping that state of the union address specific on immigration resonated with over 70 percent of americans because daniel just as you said th- this is absurd this is just common sense right th- this is not complicated this is if someone's in this country illegally they're, they're a known gang member and they're arrested for a crime yet they're not removed immediately. That's absurd, and it makes no sense. How many more angel families are we going to have to create at the hands of illegal immigrants, and a lot of that at the hands of sanctuary cities, because we had them. They were arrested. We knew they were here illegally, but because of the policies of sanctuary cities, not only are they released, they actually go against ICE. 
They actually try to thwart ICE from doing their job so that someone that's here illegally has just committed a crime as a, as a release back in the community to do something like this. How many more angel families are we going to have to create before people say, this is, this is just dumb. This doesn't make sense. And it's not complicated. You get arrested. You, you communicate with ICE. You're detained. ICE removes you. It's that simple, Daniel. I, and that's what I'm saying. You know, every illegal alien crime, by definition, is is avoidable because they shouldn't be here if we had border security. But at least numbers two, three, four, and five should definitely be avoidable because if you're here illegally and then we arrest you for something, then certainly you should be out of here. I mean, everyone should agree to that. And I'm just finding what's interesting is the the left likes to obscure the debate on um, the degree of criminality and the severity of the problem we have from crime for illegal aliens. Uh, they say, oh, no, no, that's not that, men, that, that much crime. Really, you have ICE, you know, picks up 2,000 homicides within one year, 50,000 assaults, 75,000 drug trafficking um, incidents. But what I found interesting is those numbers are likely a fraction of the universe of uh, criminal alien crime out there. Because like you see from this story, most illegals live by definition in sanctuary cities because that's the push-pull factor there. And they're not turning them over. I, I don't know if you saw last week, ICE apprehended 118 in New York, many of whom were child sex offenders that went in and out of NYPD without being turned over. Yeah, Daniel, it's, I, again, I, I'm hoping that's one of the reasons I'm not here, that the American people see the absurdity to this. And it, it absolutely, you, you try to be apolitical, but you can't reach any other conclusion that this is identity politics. When, when as you said, put aside the securing Southwest border, but, but once we catch them, they, they've done something wrong. They've broken our laws again, besides being here legally, and we have them, but yet we do nothing. We, we allow them to continue to be in this country illegally. And, and I just don't know how anybody can say that that makes sense. And it's, it's an easy fix. But, but again, I, I, look, I still have a lot of you know, friends or chief sheriffs in, in law enforcement. I mean, ICE is being kicked out of, of, of jails. Um, I, I, again, you know, police departments are being told of, from, from their government to, to virtually take. It, there's been cases, I know you've heard of, there have been cases where not only did they not coordinate with ICE, they kick ICE, you know, out of their jails. But then they actually sneak illegal immigrants who have committed a crime out the back door to actually avoid being apprehended by ICE. It's just absurd. Yeah, so you're saying it's worth – meaning really illegal alien crime is more redressable than citizen crime. It should be certainly the number one priority of the feds in particular because it is an external – threat by nature, but it, they're actually making it harder now because it's becoming such a protected class, whereas other people, you know, maybe there's a certain degree of criminality we, we would finally go after them for. Here, they're going to protect them. What I found very telling about this New York Post article, and we're going to link to it in show notes here, um, about NYPD covering up, um, you know, the guy's immigration status, they note here that according to the records, five of this guy's um, five, where is this? I think, it, yeah, five of his arrests are sealed. I don't understand how we have sealed documents on arrests of illegals. It's like we have laws that they're not allowed to be here. And yet somehow when it comes to this law, it's almost like 
the rules of the road don't apply. We treat them as if they're citizens and they're able to remain here. Um, one other thing I wanted to get your comment on as, as, a, as a former border chief um, connected to this. I saw at the State of the Union, there's this new Fed where certain Democrats bring illegals into the Capitol building, flaunting them um, at the State of the Union address, bringing them as guests. AUS Code 1324 has a number of sections on transporting, harboring, inducing aliens to remain and reside in the country illegally. Now, whether this exactly fits it, I don't know, but it's certainly close. I I don't understand how we just as a society let that go on. Well, you know, Daniel, again, I I think what I hope that this shows some people is, is the identity politics, right? And it's one thing to disagree, but it's one thing to take that extra step. So like you said, like, like, almost throw it in your face, but like, like dare somebody to actually enforce the law. You know, I, I absolutely, I, I, I didn't get any more angry than when I saw certain uh, people in Congress stand up and cheer for themselves, right? Uh, they, they cheered for themselves that they were elected in the Congress. But when the president was making the case, of, of all the drugs coming at the hands of the cartels, the gang members coming in and the devastation being uh, caused and, and talking about how the cartels will exploit young women and children and bring them across the border to be sexually exploited for their lives. They set on their hands. I was it was unbelievable to me. But that's where we're at. That's where we're at, that, that they will hold on to their identity politics and put that above and, and clap for themselves. But they won't do what's right to protect this country and, quite frankly, protect the innocent victims from other countries coming here. It's it's absolutely absurd. You know, speaking of that, allowing politics to ignore your solemn duty to protect the nation. I know you saw my article on New Mexico, Hidalgo County in the boot heel. Um, You know, New Mexico wasn't always a hot spot. You always heard about the other three border states a lot more over the last number of decades. But the last few months, it's been inundated. It looks like Sinaloa has really targeted that boot heel um, for their trafficking activity. You have a lot of ranchers speaking out how they have drug trafficking taking place, a lot of, you know, thefts, people sleeping in their barns. Um, I'm, I'm looking right now at a letter written by the county manager, and this is a county of 5,000 people in 5,000 square miles. They have four sheriff's deputies, and that's it for the entire county. Um, she talks about sanitation being a problem where where they use these porta potties and have dirty toilet paper all over the place. The smell is horrific. They're worried about diseases because there's a lot of there's TB coming in. There's that story with the flesh eating bacteria that came in at antelope wells um, in that area as well. To me, our purpose as a federal government and then as a state government is to protect communities wherever they are, certainly if they're at the border, from health concerns, from criminality, deal, you know, emanating from the ex- exterior. And yet, did you see the fact that the New Mexico governor said that there is not an emergency crisis at the border that warrants the asinine and anti-American, anti-immigration tactics endorsed by the president and his minions? And then she now says she's pulling out the National Guard from the border. Yeah, I, I, I mean, 
So, so here's when I sit and, and I, I just, you know, I, I, I just scratch my head because how many more facts do we need to present? Seriously, how many more? 2011, 2017, Texas arrested 180,000 illegal immigrants and charged them with over 300,000 crimes. And they had state charges and convictions of 119,000. You know, the president of the state of the union talked about the thousands of, of uh, American citizens have been died at the uh, hands of illegal aliens. He talked about the opioid crisis and the drug overdoses. And 90 percent of heroin comes, uh, you know, from south of the border as long as as well as fentanyl and other drugs. I mean, right. I mean, we, we could go on and on and on. And when I read that article, I've talked to the ranchers. I've been there. I've had dinner with them. You know, I, 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 I sat with a whole bunch of ranchers and had dinner at the ranch. And, and, and this, this is all just more facts that adds to the problem that is not hyperbole, it's not manufactured, it's real. So, you know, how, how do you go forth with an argument when you, you, you have fact and historical data on your side and one side just ignores it? They just ignore it. I mean, how do you, how do you have a negotiation with that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought this was particularly jarring because I've never seen a border governor, she's newly elected, uh, just completely deny th- this wasn't coming externally from Washington. This was her own county manager uh, of that county, and 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 that county it was very interesting. Is um, it's predicted or it's voted for the winner of the presidential election every election since nineteen uh, nineteen thirty two. Um, so it's very much a down the middle of the road swing county. Uh, they're not all conservative. I don't even know if the county manager she might be a Democrat um, because I know they have a lot of Democrat officials there. And they just say, hey, we, we have major issues here. We have so such few resources. Could you speak a little bit to the need of why we need the National Guard now and paint a picture for our listeners? What exactly happens when the cartels shove 300 people at a time when every juvenile has to be screened for health uh, concerns? A number of them are being taken to the hospital. What that does to our infrastructure? Yeah, so Daniel, it's a, that's a great question that is not asked enough because so let's take a look at that last caravan where 300 came over. So each each sector, right? So there's sectors along the southwest border, and then each sector has kind of like satellite office. They call them stations. When you have a, a, an influx of you know a couple hundred, 300 uh, asylum seekers, they're just coming, giving themselves over. It, those couple of stations, they're tapped out. They're done. I mean, if you think about that, for for not only safety concerns, because you really ultimately don't know what you have for safety concerns, you've got to make sure that you have enough Border Patrol agents to handle that flow uh, safely. And then you just address the the other issue. I mean, every one of them has to be processed and screened and vetted medically, their documents, their story, their asylum claim, right? That, That takes, I mean hours and hours and hours. And then some of them come up with medical conditions. They've got to have to go to the hospital. Two Border Patrol agents, gun-toting, highly experienced Border Patrol agents that should be on the line are taken off to go to the hospital. It takes a tremendous amount of resources to handle that. And guess what? The, the, the drug cartels have a coyote that's, that's a couple miles in the interior United States watching this whole thing, right? And they see the Border Patrol totally inundated and consumed by, by, the, by the asylum seekers. And they just radio, because they're pretty sophisticated, into the coyotes and crews, and they sneak through drugs and, and, and folks and, and et cetera that shouldn't be there. It, it's not complicated. And the cartels are exploiting that every single day. The cartels 
They want this. They want this humanitarian crisis. They want us to be, remain weak. They want these asylum seekers to continue to come across the border because it inundates and takes up the Border Patrol resources to do a humanitarian mission, and they're off the line. That puts our country in danger. Yeah, I mean, you talk about d- describe a little bit more about what, what it means to be off the line here, because again, they're saying there were twenty six instances over the last three months in just this New Mexico boot heel, where a hundred or more were shoved over by the cartels, and you know, gosh, the hospitals are at least a hundred to two hundred miles away in many cases. So you're saying every for for per individual taken to the hospital, you're taking off two agents for that entire duration, that, that whole trip. That's correct. That's absolutely right. They're here illegally. Uh, we, we don't know what their story is. So it just, you know, common sense, right? Every law enforcement agency in the United States will tell you that's just kind of standard protocol. You got to have two for one, you know, to go. And uh, so it takes them off the line. And what I mean by off the line? And so when I was chief, I referred to this humanitarian crisis and we did, we, we did kind of a, a study and we made the equivalent to, to agent man hours. I was actually pulling thousands, equivalent of thousands of, of agent man hours off the line of enforcing the border from bad people and bad things to come in to do the humanitarian mission. So you got to remember, it, it's not just getting them at the border. It's also taking back the stations and processing them. And remember, part of the Flores case and other bad judicial precedents, I mean, the, 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 the level of care that's forced on the Border Patrol agents is unbelievable. I'm not making this up. One station actually had a Border Patrol agent making sure that the temperature of the burritos were correct because that was challenged. <laughs> the temperature in the holding facilities, I, I, I'm, making, I'm not making it up. The temperature of holding facilities has to be within, I think, a seven-degree range. They complained that the snacks that were being provided to them, because they, they have to have an opportunity to have six meals a day, that the snacks, they have them in a container, uh, like a, a wall locker, and they said, nope, they've got to be accessible. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they're doing. And so the Border Patrol agents, not only do they have to receive them, right, at, at the border, take that, or transport them, and like you said, sometimes that can be a long ways away. Once they're there, they got to process them. They have to screen them medically. They have to feed them. They have to clothe them. And then because there's not enough resources, right, ICE doesn't have enough space, HSS doesn't have enough space, then a lot of times Border Patrol is like, okay, what do we do with them now? And so that's when you take them to those other facilities that you've seen, uh, that 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 are cages and stuff. And guess who runs those, Daniel? Border Patrol. I had a Border Patrol, and I was there in RGB. I had a Border Patrol, 18 years, walk up to me, and he said, Chief, hey, I'm not complaining, but he goes, I never thought after 18 years of being a Border Patrol agent that my primary job would be to make sure I had enough baby formula and baby diapers and et cetera. Wow. So that... That is a huge issue. United States Border Patrol are, are absolutely doing a humanitarian mission. They're being daycare providers, child care providers, and it's taking them off the front lines of our borders to go against the coyotes and the cartels to protect this nation. That's an issue, and it, it just does not get addressed enough. So it seems like a no-brainer that if you tag a certain area for this activity, which you know we see a couple places, but certainly in Hidalgo County, New Mexico, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that in the ranches along the border, you're going to be seeing a lot of criminal activity while that's going on. Daniel, yes, none of all of this is a no brainer, right? None of this discussion on border security is complicated. None of it. And the Border Patrol experts, the men and women that risk their lives, 128 to date have died, you know, securing our borders. They have been saying forever that the strategy is infrastructure, technology, and personnel. You have that in the right areas, the right location, at the right level of, of the mix of those three, 
you're going to stop stuff by 90%. It's fact, it's, it's provable, and they've been saying it for a long time. You, the, 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 I'm sorry, I don't want to be political, but the truth is the Democrats, on a bipartisan way, have voted for the wall, have voted for a fiscal barrier multiple times, multiple times. And now it's, it, the, now it's, it's immoral and ineffective. I mean, you know, the 2009, Chuck Schumer, he, he gave a speech to Georgetown University. Where, so remember, 2006, the Secure Fence Act, where 654 miles of physical barrier were, were built along the southwest border. In 2009, he actually gave a speech to Georgetown University where he applauded how effective security barriers were. It's, and now it's immoral and ineffective. That's why I'm frustrated. That's why I'm here trying to educate the American people. It's all the politics. It's 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 unbelievable. And sadly, you know, everyone thought that, oh, we reopened government. We're now paying the agents. But isn't it true that this is the ultimate shutdown of the Border Patrol that we haven't reopened yet? They're still shut down from their core mission. Right. That, that's that's absolutely right. And they're they're not given the resources that they need. I mean, if you think about it in, in the president's plan, which I actually call it, it's the experts plan. The president just happens to be listening to the experts on the plan, and he's communicated that to the American people. The plan that's out there is not just the president's plan. It is the experts' plan. And, and they, if, you, if you actually read the plan, this false narrative is so old about, well, see the shining sea and a wall, you know, the size and depth of the wall of China. That, that is so gone. The, the experts have never wanted that and never said that, and nor is the president saying that. In the State of the Union address, he said, steel slats in areas that the experts say it's needed. And that's exactly what we need to do. Why is Congress, why is Congress not listening to the experts to say, here's the tools we need? Why? Instead, they're saying, you know what? We'll tell you what tools you need. I just, it, and get this, so they haven't done that in the past. In the past, bipartisan, they listened to the experts. You know, the only reason why the 2013 bill failed in the, uh, the House was because it was attached to uh, uh, amnesty. But the, the, the part of the bill that the Senate passed had $8 billion in there for fencing. I, I hope the American people are listening to this, Daniel. This is not complicated. This, is, this, is, this should be a no-brainer. Actually, what Congress should be asking the experts is, you, you only need 5.7? How about $10 billion? You know, Because we, we want to stop little girls and young women from being trafficked. We want to stop the cartels from, from pushing 90% of the heroin that's leading to overdoses and deaths in the United States. I don't, I don't get why identity politics is being put in front of the safety and security of our country, Daniel. I, no one will, will get me to understand why that's happening. You know, I've had so many sheriffs on the show, other law enforcement, and it seems like you guys all talk the same, that you know, you're more concerned about obviously the public policy as a whole than scoring any political points, but it's almost like there's nothing that's not politicized anymore. Um, which is, which it's just so sad. I, I got to send you that, that clip from the new Mexican governor. Yeah. governor. It's, it's pretty Dude. unbelievable. It, it, she, she talks about how we're only gonna, uh, we're only going to implement proven evidence-based security um, and, and won't define what that is, of course. And what I would say is we have it, you know, and, and again, equally frustrating is the day after the first day after the conference committee met, there was actually a congressperson that got out and actually said the only crisis at the border is humanitarian. You completely rejected that there's any threat to our country at, at the Southwest border. 
I mean, again, well, that's identity. How do you have a negotiation? That, that, that's sorry? identity. I mean, you're 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 not allowed to care right. about your own people. That's really what it seems. Right. I mean, it certainly right. is and, true and, that that you know the cartels exploit um, some you know the some of the foreign nationals as well. But I mean, when you don't hear the cry out from the ranchers, and again, like we talked about at the beginning of the show. It's not just the border ranchers. It's it's New York City. It's Boston. It's North Carolina. It's all over the East Coast. It's all over the country, Daniel. And and that's what I just I I, I I'm hoping and I'm praying that it's it's resonating more and more with American people. And and the polls are are showing that. But it, it's it's just unbelievable to me. And again, like you said, it's I I want to be apolitical. But when you have politicians stand at the podium and say the wall is immoral and ineffective, that is a lie. It, it, it is, it's disingenuous on the, the immoral part because they have voted for it in the past. Both of those individuals who said that have voted for the wall in the past, and it's a lie when it's ineffective when they know it's effective. You know, it's ironic when, when one of them has, has a lot of wall, in fact, tertiary, secondary tertiary level of wall in her home state, and, and that is what is disingenuous. Yeah, it's really sad. I know you have a prior engagement, so we'll let you go now, but we certainly have to have you back as this unfolds. We need your voice in the fight. Thanks so much for, for coming out of the uh, out of your quiet retirement and, and fighting the good fight for us. <laughs> Absolutely, Daniel. You too. And uh, anytime you ask, I'll, uh, I'll be here. Certainly appreciate it. Well, folks, that was Mark Morgan, former Border Patrol. And uh, I think you hear the sincerity in Mark's voice. He really is apolitical. I mean, he was canned by Obama, by, by Trump. So anyone else in his position would be out there trashing him. Oh, I mean, could you imagine the fame he would get by saying, oh, I'm a former Border Patrol chief, and I could tell you the wall is BS. You know, that's what anyone would have done to get back at at a president who fired him. But instead, he's like, look, you know, this needs to be done. Um but but that's the thing you you're not seeing this urgency from from Republicans and McConnell. His only urgency is don't pull troops out of Afghanistan. I want to talk to him more about the mechanics of how troops would work together with Border Patrol at the border and what his thoughts on that were. Um, but we'll have to get that for another time. Anyway, it is great to be back with you, back in the thick of the fight. Even though I'm kind of depressed being back from vacation, a lot more going on on this and other issues. But we will now have more for you back in the saddle. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. Unless I get burned out. Um, But God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.